guys made it. Like, and I, I'm just impressed. Maybe it was that fear of the alarm clock and getting the times right, but uh, I looked up and it's time for church to start and there was a lot of people here. And I was like, this isn't the bridge I know. Like, everyone wanders in five minutes late. God is good. And he, all the time. And he's going to meet us this morning as we talk about prayer. It's one of our pillars here at the church. And when I first started here at the bridge over four years ago, I, I was just talking to people. I said, tell me about the bridge. Who are we? What, what kind of people are we? And inevitably, someone says, oh, well, we're a praying people. To which my response was, are we? <laughs> because in my experience, churches don't pray well. We don't pray together. We don't understand prayer well. So it became one of our pillars. And it started as an aspirational pillar. And I like to think it has become more a reality of who we are. More and more, we are a praying people. And God has done some beautiful work in prayer here at the bridge and in our lives with one another as we have prayed together and learned to pray together. And so I want to continue in that today. I want us to continue to learn and grow in prayer. Now, prayer is something that we all are to be doing. We're going we're gonna to agree with that statement, right? Like, we read the Bible and we say, yeah, we're supposed to pray, pray without ceasing, pray at all times, pray your thanksgiving, like, bring your petitions to God. Like, we read all of those passages and we affirm it, right? Yeah, we should pray. And then the question is, well, why don't we pray? And, and I, I thought about that for a while, and, and it could be that it's hard because it's not tangible, you know? And, and most times when we pray, we don't see the results right away. When, when I have a hard week of ministry, I think Walmart is the best place on earth to work. <laughs> I used to work there in seminary. I, used, I did 40 hours a week did seminary full-time as well, had no time really for anything else other than the come home, study, eat, kiss my wife, who was expecting our first, and go back to Walmart or go back to class, and it was just like that was it, and, and I was like, I can't wait to be done with Walmart. And after a hard week of ministry, I'm thinking Walmart's awesome. Why? Because Walmart's tangible. Man, when I have to redo the modular and put the little pegs up and fill it out, it's done. That looks good. You know, oh, price changes, beep, 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 print the stickers. They're done. It's tangible. Like, I'm like, oh. But when we're in prayer, we go through seasons where we're praying and praying and asking God and we're seeking God, and we don't always see the results. And we're like, man, this is hard. Like, does it matter? Is God listening? Am I even, sometimes we, we play that game, am I even really connected to God right now? Like, is there something in my life? I don't know what's going on. And we play all this game because it's not tangible. And so we, we get maybe disillusioned with it. We get tired. We get burnt out trying to strive. But it's not always that. Sometimes it could be because we have weak faith. And let's be honest, uh, we, we haven't grown that spiritual muscle. We're weak there. 
It's not part of, of our spiritual life, of our Christian life. And, and when we have weak faith, it, it shows in our practice. And there's all kinds of reasons that people do and don't pray. And behind each of those reasons, there's something you're thinking. There's an idea. There's a concept. There's, there's a belief of some sort. And I wrote down a whole bunch, and I didn't write down all of them, but I wrote down a whole bunch really quickly, and I want to share those with you. Some reasons why people don't pray and some reasons why they do. First one, I don't pray because I think prayer is private. Oh, you're gonna, there you go. Because I think prayer is private. And, and as I think about that one, sometimes it's, in my experience, that that is an excuse. Like, I, I tell people I'm going to pray for them later, and I don't really. I say, oh, thank you for telling me about that. I'm going to pray for you. And if it's kind of private, it's just really for me and God. So I'm going to pray for you later. It's an excuse not to pray in that moment, not to be relational in that moment. And then I go home, and later it's like, oh, I said I'd pray for, for Bob about, you know, his swimming on the Saturdays and, and having the kids. And, well, I thought about it, so that's good, you know. And that's kind of how we pray, is it not? Like sometimes we just think, well, it's private. It's, and I think sometimes, if not often, it's just an excuse. We we believe that it's, it's not really supposed to be relational and it's, it's not what we do. I don't pray because I was never taught. I was never taught to pray. Anybody there? I was like, I grew up in a church and like we had prayer like in between the songs. So we, we prayed so the pastor had a time to sneak up on stage and get all set and be like, hey, when you opened your eyes, there he is, you know. We, we prayed as a transition. It was a comma. It was a footnote. It really wasn't ever the focus. So I was never really trained to pray. We, the people who prayed were the ones who were in leadership. They prayed. Well, what's, what are we believing there? What, what's behind that? Well, what we're believing is that prayer is not important. It's not important. I don't need it because I was never trained in it. It must not be important. I don't pray because I have been disappointed before. I've been there. You have seasons where you're seeking God, you're asking God, God, work, do this, and he doesn't come through the way you had hoped, or, and you're just like, I'm so disappointed in God right now. Like, like, and the next time something comes up, you're like, I'm not going to pray. I've been disappointed too many times. I'm just not going to pray. What is the belief behind there? God's goodness is questionable. I really question his goodness because if he was good, he would have answered these prayers. So I just don't pray. I don't pray because I should be able to do it myself. I said the sinner's prayer, and Jesus saved me, and I have salvation. Now, the rest of the Christian life is me. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps because I'm an American, and that's what we do, you know, and I'm going to go after this Jesus thing in my own strength. What are we saying? Well, I'm self-reliant. I don't need God. I can do this. So I don't really pray about it. I I don't want to bother God with it. I, I got it. I don't pray because God doesn't really do those things. Maybe you've, 
you've been in those circles where you pray for stuff and you don't see miracles, you don't see the healings very often, you don't, and it's like he doesn't really do those things. So I don't really pray for those things. I don't ask for those things anymore. Like, I just, I just, I don't think God's in the business of doing that now. So what are we saying? Well, God's distant. He doesn't really care about this. So I don't pray. I don't pray because others will judge me. Anybody been there? You're like, hey, would you like to pray? And they're like, I'd rather not. (laughs) It's not that I don't want to pray. I I just don't want the rest of you hearing me pray. (laughs) What's the belief? The belief is I'm afraid of man more than I am of God. I'm afraid that someone's going to hear my words, judge my words, and judge me. And I'm afraid of what people think more than what God hears from me, from my heart. I don't pray because it's awkward. That, that can be true. Like, we have to grow in prayer sometimes. But if that's like your thing, I would say, are you a perfectionist? Is that, is that your personality? Are you one of those people like, if I can't do it right the first time, I really don't want to do it. So it's like, hey, would you pray? It's like, no, that's kind of awkward. I'm not. Okay, Caleb's not in this service, right? Okay, my son's a perfectionist. <laughs> uh, it's out there now. But as he was growing up, his personality was, I don't want to do it if I can't do it right. It has to be perfect the first time. I don't pray because it, it never comes out right. It's never, it's just not good enough. It's just not the right words. It doesn't sound like that guy, well, that guy's been praying a long time, you know? So I don't pray because it's awkward. Maybe there's perfectionism there. I don't pray because God wouldn't answer me. This one makes me really sad. Like, why don't you pray? God wouldn't answer me. Why would he answer me? Like, he doesn't care for me. I'm not important. I, there's that, that self-condemnation. Like, I, I'm not worthy of it. Christ made you worthy. Christ redeems you. Christ loves you. But, but we live in that, like, God wouldn't answer me. Or, God won't answer me because I'm sinful. I have sin in my life. Like, I know what's going on in my life right now, and I, I'm not going to pray because I feel like a hypocrite coming to God, talking to him right now, because... I don't pray because I don't want to confess this sin. <laughs> Maybe I don't want to stop this sin. Maybe I don't want to be changed. If I pray, then I have to tell God that I know that this is sin and I have to. So I don't pray because I'm a sinner. I have sin or I have condemnation and I'm wearing condemnation and guilt and shame. So I don't pray. I don't pray because God is sovereign. This is my favorite when you're, especially like uh, on seminary campuses, when when guys really grow in the sovereignty of God's stuff. Now, I got a lot of good friends that are really good in that area, and they pray very faithfully. But there's guys who are just like, God is in control. He's got it. And their prayers are weak, and they're shallow, and they're few and far between. Why? Well, because God's sovereign. God's got it. I don't really need to pray about it. God's in control. God has it. I have great trust in God. But yet, he's asked you to come and pray. He's asked you to be in relationship. No, God's sovereign. He's got it. What am I saying? Well, it's true God does not need us, but God wants us. 
He wants to be in relationship. He doesn't want that relationship. He's got it planned out. He doesn't need our interjection. I pray. Kind of flip it now. I pray because God... Oh, I pray because... uh, I pray because I don't want to appear unspiritual. I don't want to appear unspiritual. So I come to church and... So when we pray, I pray. When we, if someone asks me to pray, I'll say a simple prayer. Like, I don't, I don't want to appear unspiritual. Like, you know, but in my private life, like, I don't pray at all. Like, I, I'm, I'm wearing a mask. What do we say? Again, fear of others. I need to appear a certain way in front of other people. So when I'm in this setting, when I'm in a religious setting, I'll pray. I'll say a simple prayer because I don't want you to think that I don't love Jesus <laughs> or that I'm not spiritual or that I'm not mature so I'm going to fake it till I make it kind of thing. I'm afraid of others more than I'm afraid of God, the fear of man. I pray because I want to be spiritual. Now, this is self-righteousness. I pray because I want you to see me pray. I pray because I want to be seen as a mature spiritual Christian. Charles Spurgeon uh, yeah, it was Spurgeon. Spurgeon was asked by a, 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 f- a friend once in a letter. They said, uh, when we get together in our prayer meetings, there's this man who goes on and on and on for 20 minutes or more when we have our time of prayer. And he monopolizes the prayer. And Spurgeon says, tell him to shut up or go home. He says, we should be praying together and not praying to be seen, not praying to be I pray to be spiritual. That's the whole thing. That's self-righteousness. That's what that is. It's self-righteousness. I pray because we are commanded. Now, this could be good. As I've said before, duty is a good place to start. Sometimes we grow in commandments. We start in in, in that sense of duty. Like, okay, I'm going to do it because God wants us to do it, and this is new to me, and I'm going to grow in it. But if it stays there, I pray only because God tells me to, then what are you doing? You're living by law. You're living by works. It's a legalism. It's, it's not praying for this last one. I pray because I know God and I love him. That's why we pray. Because we know him and we love him. We're in relationship with him. Now, I didn't hit all of them. There's, there's a lot that probably could be added to that list. The point is, behind that are things we believe, whether good or bad, and they prompt us to, to pray or not pray. So look at your life and ask, what does my prayer life look like, and why does it look that way? We all have to ask that question from time to time. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. This is our touch verse. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. And last time we talked about all of the other three, the teaching, fellowship, and we broke bread together. And as far as fellowship, here's an announcement. In another week, you have an opportunity. You can sign up and be in the all-in origin classes and, and join us here at the bridge and become a covenant partner here. Or if you have a child for dedication, we're also going to be doing a child dedication in another week. So if that is for you to join more in the fellowship and wanting to do that, sign up online. 
or go to the app that Christina talked about, click join. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to prayer. Now, devoted, this way of reminding, is strongly attached to, zealous for. So the first disciples were strongly attached and zealous for prayer. Well, it's modeled by Christ. I'm going to give us three things. First, it's modeled by Jesus. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. It says, oh, you can go back. Somebody was writing that down. I heard somebody go, oh, oh. <laughs> Okay, I'll read these three and then we'll go through them. Mark 1, 35, Luke 5, 15 and 16, and Luke 22, 31 and 32. These are, these are times where Jesus prays. He's modeling prayer with his disciples. So the first one, Mark 1, 35 says, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. So he gets up, and he goes, and he prays. So they're seeing him. Actually, they're not seeing him. They wake up, and they're like, where's Jesus? He's praying. So he's modeling prayer. The next one, it says, But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him, to be healed of their infirmities, but he would withdraw to a desolate place and pray. So ministry was always present, but he would withdraw and pray. That was so important. He modeled the importance of it. And the last one that he modeled, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. He modeled it, and then he's telling them, I'm praying for you. What, what do I pray for when I'm, when I'm praying? I'm praying for you. I'm praying for everything else too, but he's telling the disciples, I'm praying for you. Jesus models it. Then we see the early church. There's many more examples if you just look in the Gospels, but we see now in the book of Acts that the early church models it. So that's Acts chapter 4, verse 31, Acts chapter 10, verse 9, Acts 21, verse 5. Now I'm going to tell you there's tons and tons of places about prayer in the book of Acts. I'm just picking out, I'm cherry picking here, guys. All right, so the first one, Acts 4.31, it says, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So they're praying together. Jesus models it. Now the early church is doing it. So they prayed together. The next one, Acts 10. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. So Peter, following the, the model of the Savior, says he withdrew to pray. I'm going to withdraw and I'm going to pray. And so we see it in the early church being modeled. Acts 21.5, it says, And when our days were, were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. So this is Paul getting ready to leave on, on another part of his journey. And the whole church comes out. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed. The church saying farewell to him as he's getting ready to take the next step on his journey. And they all come together and they pray. So the early church models it. So Jesus models it. The church continues in it and models it. And then it is passed on to you and me. So we see these three passages out of the New Testament. Ephesians 6, 18, 1 Timothy 2, 8, 
in Jude, there's only one chapter, but one, verse 20. And it says this in Ephesians 6.18. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So you and I, like the early church, like Jesus, praying at all times in the Spirit. Be praying in the Spirit. The next one, 1 Timothy 2.8. I desire then that in every place the men should pray. Now I love how he says this. Lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Praying together and lifting holy hands to God. I'm going to just bring that up because this is our posture in prayer. Or this. Very benign. I just love that he's saying, look at this, like their posture is lifting holy hands to God. When I'm standing here like this, I probably look kind of silly to you. (laughs) But I don't care because I'm praying to God. And and so we are to be praying together, lifting our, our voices and our, and our hearts together without anger, without quarreling. And the next one. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. So being built up. How do you build yourself up? Praying in the Spirit. How do we build ourselves up in faith? By praying in the Spirit. I mean, Jude's pretty clear. He's like, there's going to be a great falling away. He says, I wanted to write to you about Jesus and salvation. He says, but there's going to be a great falling away, and you need to be built up in your faith. How? By prayer in the Holy Spirit. So what is prayer? We we see Jesus model it. We see the church model it. We see it passed on us. What is prayer? Now, most people are going to say, well, prayer is simply just talking to God. And I would agree with that but I think it's so much more. Some would say, well, yeah, it's listening to God too. And I would say, yeah, and yet it's still more. It's not just speaking to God and listening to God. Prayer is relational intimacy with God. I talk to people all the time and ask them for stuff. And if I don't know them, why the heck would they give me anything? (laughs) You know, have you ever, I mean, you ever have someone come up to your door trying to sell you something and they're like, hey, would you like to buy this day or I like you, I would like you to buy this or something? And you're just like, get out of my door, right? They're asking you for something. They have no relationship with you. Now, when your friend shows up and they're like, hey, this is going on and I think you might be interested in it. I found this great deal on eBay. You're like, I want to buy that, you know? Why? Because I have a relationship with that person, and they're talking, and they're like, hey, you should have this. I, I want you to have this, or whatever. Like, there's, there's relationship. Prayer is relational intimacy with God. It's, it's connecting to our Father in heaven. It's, it's, it's intimate. It's, it's a communion. And here's the thing. He wants us to pray. So it's relational intimacy, and God wants it. He wants us to pray. Look at Isaiah chapter 30. This is what it says there, 18, 19. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. For a people shall dwell in Zion, in Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, 
He answers you. Now look at this. The Lord waits to be gracious to you. And he's waiting on the sound of your cry. And the moment he hears it, he answers. I mean, think about that. He's like, I, I have great blessing for you. And I want you to have it. And I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting for you. And in the moment you cry, I answer. That's, that's God saying, I'm relational with you. It's not just my son died on the cross so you can have your sins forgiven. He died so you'd be made new and we have relationship once again. I'm waiting for your cry because I want to answer it. So he calls us to pray. He wants us to pray. We see Matthew chapter 6, this verse 9 in the Lord's Prayer. It says, pray like this then. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father. Our Father. Personal, intimate. We have, we have the Spirit of God in us and our soul cries out, Abba, Father, Daddy. We cry out to him intimate, this acknowledging him acknowledges our dependence on him as, as loving, as wise, as a father towards us. Now, you may have no father on earth or a horrible father on earth or the best of fathers on earth, but God is the greatest perfect father. Whatever your relationship looks like here, the relationship you have with him is very, I'm going to just have to say, it's, it's just utterly different it, because he is perfect and he loves you the way you should be loved, cares for you, has, has kindness for you, has patience for you, has grace for you, has mercy for you, has the right discipline for you. It's perfect in all of its ways. So when we call him Father, we are emphasizing our need for him. We are emphasizing that we trust him. So look at Luke eleven thirteen. So if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. So if we, as parents, know how to give good gifts to our kids. If they come and ask for something, we tend to give them good things in return. He says, if they come and ask you for, for bread, you don't give them a scorpion or a snake. He's like, you give them Good gifts. So he says, you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, when we read this verse, and I've done this myself, we change it. We read that whole thing about how we give good gifts to our kids and how we care for our kids, and then we do this in our mind. And we say, and our Father who is in heaven... How much more will he give good gifts to us? That's not what it said. What does he give us? What does he give us? He gives us himself, right? The Holy Spirit. It's not just a good gift. He gives himself. Like, Jesus, I would like a new bike. How about me? <laughs> I mean, a lot better. He gives us himself. He is a good father. So how is that even possible? How is that possible? 
How are we able to bring prayers to God? How are we able to come into his presence? How can we call him Abba, Father? Well, it's only made possible by the work of Jesus and the new identity we receive by being forgiven of sin and placed in Christ. I'm not going to go through all of that again. I went through that last week. If you missed that sermon, you need to go listen to that. It talks about our identity in Christ, how we're made new. We put on the new man. But that's only made possible by what Jesus has done. And when he changes us, we call him Abba, Daddy, Father. He, he restores this relationship. And, it, and, and through the cross of Jesus, we, we have our sins forgiven and we become children of God. John 1, 12. It says this. Did I give you that? Yeah. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You are children of God. So you can call him Daddy. You can call on him. He waits to hear from you. He wants to be with you. He wants to answer you. But then there's more than that. Christ makes us a royal priesthood, 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You have been made a royal priest. That is so important when we're talking about prayer. I'm going to show you why. Wayne Grudem says this in his Systematic Theology book. He says, The author of Hebrews pictures all believers as having been ordained priests. That's what Peter's talking about here. Ordained priests to God and thus able to enter his presence. Does this make sense to the modern church? No one today goes to Jerusalem to enter the temple and there draw near to God. And even if we did go, we would find no temple standing. So what does the author of Hebrews mean when he says we enter into the holy places? He is talking about a reality in the unseen spiritual realm with Christ as our mediator. We enter, in, we, we enter not into the earthly temple, but the true sanctuary into heaven itself, where Christ has gone to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. That's what Hebrews 9.24 says. It says, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. We can enter in as priests with Christ who petitions the Father on our behalf with us. And the Spirit of God, Romans 8, is given to us and prays with us. We no longer pray from earth. Though our bodies are here, our spirits enter the heavenly throne room. We enter the sanctuary of God as priests. And we do work offering prayers to our Father in heaven. Changes the perspective, doesn't it? Often we pray from here, from this vantage point. God, if you could see all the stuff going on around me right now, I don't know if up there you're, you see it, but down here, no, we pray from up there with him looking down that his will be done on earth as priests. 
our position in prayer changes. While we are here on earth, we pray from heaven. We pray from the sanctuary of God. We have been ushered in by Jesus. Our prayers are welcomed. We are not like Esther who who dared to enter the presence of the king hoping he would hold out the scepter and receive her. God has already held out the scepter to us in Christ. We can, with confidence and boldness, approach with our petitions because we have been made fit to be there. You have been made fit to be there. This sounds wonderful, doesn't it? It gets better. Oh, I just pulled a Joe Biden. It gets better. Like, why are you whispering? It gets better. It gets better. John 14, 12 through 14. That's going to be the highlight of the sermon. Like, that's what everyone's going to talk about. I forgot about prayer, but he said that thing about Biden, and I tell you what. Okay. And we all became Southern. I don't John 14, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. How is it getting better? This is an authority passage. Pray in my name. Pray in my name. Of 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. Why do we pray in his name? Why are we given this authority? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new comes. We are new in Christ. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's the priesthood. We have a ministry. We are priests in the heavenlies with him. That is In Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. That's, That's a title. We are given ambassadorship of the kingdom of God. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's the priestly job. We are imploring men and women who are on their way to hell to be reconciled to God. And we come to the Father in heaven and we pray on their behalf. And we say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Work in their lives, open their eyes, remove the blinding of the devil. May they see Christ. May the light shine in their lives. May those who are asleep awake. We, we go from that position of throne room and pray down in authority as ambassadors. We are brought into Christ's work. Jesus says we pray in his name because we minister through prayer as his ambassador with his authority. So we carry his authority as his people. To pray in his name is also praying in a way that is consistent with his character. So you can't just slap in Jesus' name on it, like a bumper sticker, and expect it to happen. Because in Jesus' name means I'm praying a prayer that is consistent with who he is, with his character, his nature, his purposes. The name represents Christ and all that Christ is. James 4, 2, 
and 3 says, You desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel, you do not have because you do not ask. First problem. We don't pray, we don't have. Why? We didn't ask. Second thing, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You, you, you prayed and you said in Jesus' name, but you did not ask rightly. So how can we be effective? This takes us to the practical time. We're going to pray today. <laughs> Amazing, right? How can we be effective? First, start with worship. And, and I say that, um, I haven't always done that, but I'm going to tell you, over the last year or so, all of us gathering who have been praying together consistently and on Saturday nights and that, this is so important because it centers us. It gets our thoughts and our hearts and our minds focused off of self and focused on the Christ. It, it, it reorients us. When we start with worship, we're focusing on Jesus. We're, we're proclaiming who he is. We're praising him for all the truths that are revealed in Scripture as we sing. We're praising him for what he does. We get our eyes in the right place. We get our hearts ready. Number two, be still and wait. Be still. You don't have to jump right in. Sometimes we think prayer is like one of those things, it's like, like a, a task that has to be done, like check the to-do list. It's like, all right, let's pray, boom, and we jump right in like, like the deep end of a swimming pool. Just be still. Let the Spirit speak to you. Let the Scripture speak to you. Let, let God work in that moment. You've centered your life and your eyes and everything back on Him. Just be in His presence for a moment. He's going to give you some marching orders. He's going to reveal some things to pray for. He's going to get you ready. Rest in his presence. Number three, identify what to pray for and look to Scripture. So in that moment of stillness, often the Spirit brings things to our remembrance, things that we should be praying for, things that we need to ask. And then we look to Scripture. Why do we look to Scripture? Because we want to pray rightly. We want to pray his promises. We want to pray the things that he says in this circumstance, these scriptures speak to it. And if you're praying this truth, I'm going to be saying yes in the heavens with you as you are in my presence in the throne saying, Father, you have said in your word these things. I'm bringing them to remembrance. I'm bringing them before you. Apply this truth to this brother or sisters or my life. He's going to say yes to the things that are in alignment with his character. So we search Scripture. Ask, what does Scripture say? Spirit will bring those things to mind. So often, we just need to be still and let the Spirit do what He does, bringing Scripture back to our mind. Number four, pray. <laughs> then pray. I mean, don't, don't short-circuit it. Well, I thought about it. I, worship was great. I was still, and I thought of those things, and I'm going to pray for it later. <laughs> No, pray. Like, take that time and pray. And pray with confidence, recognizing that you have been made fit to be in his presence and bring those prayers. Pray with authority. But remember, it's not your authority, it's Christ's authority. 
So there is a difference between confidence and arrogance. You can stroll on up into the heavenlies and say, Lord, in Jesus' name, I'm the authority, and you can pray, and it's not what he desires because it's coming from a self-righteousness, not in a humble submission and confidence in who Christ is. So we pray with boldness and we pray in authority, but we do this because it is Christ who we are coming in the name of. And number five, check your heart's posture. That's just going back, bringing it full circle. Check your heart's posture. Was the prayer in line with how Jesus said we should pray? In Matthew 6, 9 through 13, we have the Lord's Prayer. He says, then pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth it is as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Or forgive us our trespasses in another pa- passage. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So have we prayed in a way that is honoring to God, giving him glory, advancing as best we can tell his kingdom and his will, based in recognizing our need of him and rooted in this new identity that he has forgiven us and that we can come and that he continues to work in us. Check your heart's posture. What I want to do now is practice these five. Um, Can you just bring those other things, reasons we don't pray? Just take a look at those. Some of those may resonate. In a moment, we're going to worship again. And in the second song, I'll give a little direction. We're going to have some people who would love to pray with you or pray over you, however. But I also want you to be praying together. So I'll give some direction there. But we want to practice those five things. So we're going to start with worship. And, and so if you'll bring that last slide up with the five all together. Yeah, that last slide with all five together, how to be effective. We're going to start with worship. And then as we're worshiping, we'll be still and we'll pray. At the end of our prayer time, there's no benediction You can continue to pray. House music will be on. Um, You can continue to pray. Or you can go if that's what you need, if you're done. If you want to go in fellowship, I would say just fellowship in the welcome area, have some coffee, maybe even pray out there. But we'll keep the sanctuary as as just a place for prayer, to connect and, and, and talk with each other and pray together, small groups together with those who come up. So will you stand with me? I'm going to lead us in a short prayer. Worship team, come on up. And I'll give direction after our first song to get, make sure we all are moving in the right way. Father, <clears throat> Father, you are so good. And we, we thank you. So now we want to worship. We want to get our eyes fixed on you again. Get our hearts fixed on you. And God, teach us to pray. Jesus, you want us to pray. And you want us to be praying from the new identity. And you want us to be praying in the heavenly with you. Jesus, you are a great mediator. And Spirit of God, you pray on our behalf even when we don't know what to pray. And we want to be in alignment. We want to pray. And we want to grow in this. We want this to be part of who we are 
as a disciple of Jesus. So help us worship and teach us and unify us in the moments to come. In Christ's name we ask, amen.